The reading tonight is taken from the book of Matthew, chapter 24, verse 36, to chapter 25, verse 13. No one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the, end, at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill. One will be taken and the other left. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them their food at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. I tell you the truth, he will, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But suppose that servant is wicked and says to himself, My master is staying away a long time, and he then begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour he is not aware of. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took the lambs and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lambs, but did not take any oil with them. The wise, however, took oils in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish one said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later the others also came. Sir, sir, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, I tell you the truth, I don't know you. Therefore keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. This is God's word. Uh, let me add my welcome. Uh, if we've not met, my name's uh, Matt, Matt Fuller. Uh, it's very lovely to have you with us, uh, indeed. I guess some still visiting for first or uh, a second time. And uh, I do ask the people around you uh, about life at Christchurch. I think it's a very special family here. I-, I love being part of this church. So do ask, and uh, uh, maybe uh, you'll be with us for many years to come. Uh, let me pray. Uh, let me lead us in prayer as we begin. 
Our great God and Father, we thank you that in your kindness that the words of the Lord Jesus are precisely what we need. They are encouragement, they uh, shape us, help us to grow, they rebuke and arrest us. And uh, here are clear words, plain words, blunt words of the Lord Jesus. Would we hear them rightly? And would your spirit cause us to respond rightly, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Watch out, says Jesus. Keep watch. Or you could equally translate it, wake up, which is a really useful thing at uh, seven o'clock or whatever it is on a Sunday night. Um, My uh, son is uh, nine years old and we're into the realm of swimming galas now. Um, Now, I love my son dearly and uh, he's quite good at swimming, so he likes to go to these things. Uh, The downside is, if you didn't know, that swimming galas are one of the most boring things this world has ever created. And if your parents used to go along and take you to swimming galas, you should go and phone them when you get home and thank them for their patience and perseverance because they're dull. Uh, you arrive, whatever you drive for half an hour to some location, you, the kids will swim for half an hour, uh, to warm up uh, and loosen up. And then they'll say, right, and now between six o'clock and nine o'clock, the races will take place. And you say, great. And when is the under tens uh, a medley taking place. Ah, oh, some point later on. At what time? Later. Any time? Any clues? Well, we'll see how the... And another group goes back and forth. And you sit there as one group goes back and forth. And another group goes back and forth. And it just goes on and on and on. Of course, it's humid. And you drink uh, water, plenty of water, because you know, it's the only thing that keeps you going. And then you think, oh, golly, I need a, uh, a comfort break. Uh, as they say, right, where are the, where are the loos? Well, for the spectators, oh, well, you've got to go down there. And, okay, off you go. And you come back. And you come back and, oh... There's the last five metres of my son's race. Uh, great. Great. It's quite hard to keep watch for three hours of a swimming gala. But fortunately, life is more interesting than that. But I did think of that, you know, every so often experience we have uh, with galas. And you come to this, because that's Jesus' point, really. you just got to keep watching. And you don't know when the thing, the event, is going to be. So you just got to keep on watching. If you're joining us, uh, we're, uh, well, we've been working our way slowly through Matthew's Gospel. We've got just chapters 24 and 25. It's Jesus' last substantial sermon, I guess, uh, just to the disciples. He's talking to believers at this point, not to the crowds. And uh, the last thing he wants to tell them before he goes to the cross is, keep watch. Well, the headline really over the passage is uh, verse 36. No one knows. No one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. No one knows. So the next time you hear a prediction, the world is going to end at the 17th of uh, whatever it is. uh, No, no one knows, says Jesus. He's very clear on that. No one knows. And the key application, really, you get it in verse 42. Therefore, keep watch. Chapter 25, verse 13. Therefore, Keep watch. That's what he really wants to impress upon us. So what we'll see in this uh, section, Jesus gives a description of his return, which is chapter 24, verses 36 to 41, and then tells three parables, three little stories, three implications, okay? Description, it's going to look like this. Therefore, do these three things. Let's look at the description first of all. So verses uh, 36 to 41, it'll be unexpected. And divisive. Verse 37. 
as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what happened until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. So Jesus will come back at... Well, party time in one sense. Lots happening at that moment. Uh, He's not waiting for some period of unprecedented evil in this world. Jesus will come back at a time of secular indifference, you might call it. People are just going about their lives. Just like in the time of Noah. Noah, what are you doing? I'm building an ark. Why are you building an ark? Well, the world's going to end. Very nice. And uh, off they carry on. They just carry on and ignore it. It'll be just the same when Jesus returns. You know, there is a God. His name is Jesus Christ. He's visited this world once and he's coming back. Very nice. Oof, super. Do you want another beer? Eating, drinking, getting married. Now, of course, there's nothing wrong with any of those things. Those are good things that the Bible would commend. The problem here is doing those sort of things with no reference to him. No reference to God or the fact that Jesus will return. Not allowing that event to change how you live. Here and now. That's the problem. It'll be unexpected, he says. I don't know if you saw the uh, film, I think two years ago, uh, The Impossible. Um, a sort of reconstruction, or reconstruction, a retelling of uh, true events in the life of one family back in 2004. They were in Thailand when the, uh, the tsunami hit on Boxing Day. And uh, so in the film, uh, Ewan McGregor, uh, is the dad and Naomi Watts is the mum and they go out on uh, a couple of days before Christmas uh, with their three kids to Thailand and it's just delightful and they arrive and they've been upgraded, get a nice you know, sh- a chalet overlooking the beach, fabulous and you see them splashing around and they're drinking and they're wine and they're lying on the beach, just wonderful, blissful and it's Christmas day and they exchange their presents and in the evening there's about a thousand people on the beach just letting off these Chinese lanterns, beautiful scene in the sky and it's just paradise, it's wonderful but it's kind of odd watching it as the viewer because you know what happens next and so there they are on boxing day in the pool and there's a distant rumble somewhere over there and then the noise gets louder and louder until you see the horror on their faces as they're greeted by a wall of water coming towards them and then you see the devastation afterwards and the film is them trying to find one another but it's really odd watching it as the as the viewer because it's all wonderful it's all lovely but but you know it doesn't finish that way. It's going to end. And Jesus says, yeah, just so. People going about their business with no concept, no recognition that he's coming back and the world will end. It'll be unexpected. It'll be divisive, verses 40 and 41. Two men will be in the field, one will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding with a hand mill, one will be taken, the other left. Division is the point. Who's taken? Is it the people who trust in Jesus or those who don't? Don't know. I mean, earlier in the chapter, verse 31, it's those who are believers that Jesus takes to be with him. Uh, Just before this, verse 39, it's the flood takes away those who don't believe. So, you know, this is no reference to what some people get excited about. End times, rapture, Jesus will come back and no one will know about it. Um... Nicholas Cage has got a film out at the moment, Left Behind. 
I wouldn't go and see it. Uh, mainly because it's artistically terrible, apparently, um, and been panned. I'm not even sure it's going to get a UK release. It's been hammered so bad in the States. But theologically, it's not accurate. Uh, I wouldn't be persuaded by that. But anyway, division. Two men, two women, one goes. Now, I don't suppose that's ever a popular concept. Jesus will come and take some to be with him in heaven, in glory forever, and others left out. People don't warm to that. And yet, most people believe in some form of that, by which I mean, uh, in the UK, I don't know about the rest of the world, but in the UK, still 70% of the UK population in the most recent poll in 11, 2011, uh, expressed, 70% think there's some afterlife. Something lives on. It may just be our eternal soul. There may be a physical heaven, but 70% think that there'll be something afterwards. But not everyone goes to the same place. 70% of people think that, that there's a division And I guess the most common way of phrasing it would be nice people will go to be in the good place, let's call it heaven. Nasty people are shut out. Well, that's a division right there. But Jesus draws the lines differently, I know. He says it's not, you don't get in by being nice. You get in by trusting that he's died for you, even though you're not nice. But it's still a division, You can't get away from that. In one sense, you might argue, take it or leave it. But um, actually, his division is more inclusive, more generous. If you work on the nice, nasty principle, nice people get in, nasty people don't. Where do you draw the line? How nice do you have to be? Do I get in? Do you get in? I mean, I, I get angry sometimes. Apparently, my wife tells me on occasion I've been selfish. I have standards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I have standards for myself. How I try to live, I fall short. I'm a failure morally. Do I get it? Do I get in? Do you get in? Oh, I don't know. What about if I've 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 been a nasty person for seventy years, but then in the last five years of my life try to be good? Well, that doesn't work, does it? Seventy versus five. I'm out. Tough luck. Jesus says you can believe in me at any stage of your life. It doesn't matter if you if you come to believe in me on your deathbed. You can still come in if you trust in me. Now, that's pretty inclusive. The division gets drawn in different places. Look, when Jesus returns, it'll be unexpected. It'll be divisive. So keep watch. You get these three parables then, uh, verses 42 to chapter 50, uh, excuse me, chapter 25, verse um, uh, 13. Framed by that command, uh, 24, 42, keep watch. 25, 13, keep watch. Three little stories, let's run through them. First then, be ready. Verses 42 and 44. Be ready. There's a burglar coming, there he is. Verse 42. Therefore keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. Understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and wouldn't have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Now run with the parable. Imagine that you get a tip off uh, that on Tuesday night, your house is going to be burgled. 
someone in the local gang, someone in the, whatever it may be, the, the, the Vauxhall, the Islington, the South Ken Massive, uh, lets you know that uh, your house is being targeted uh, on Tuesday night. They've eyed up your take that CDs and they're burgling your house for that uh, collection. Now, what would you do if you're told that? What would you do? Now, let me suggest that would affect what you did on Tuesday night. The knowledge of what is coming will change how you behave. You would, I don't know, if you're in a house share with four of you, you'd do shifts maybe, and so you cover the night, you know, cover the watches of the night, as it were, someone's always awake. You, you might get a dog and just plonk him, a big one, and, um, you know, fluffy from Harry Potter. You get fluffy and plonk him in, your, uh, in the corridor to sort of guard your house. That sort of, you'd do something, wouldn't you? What you wouldn't do is think, oh, someone's coming to burglar the house on Tuesday, well, I'll go on holiday. Dear burglar, you're very welcome, nick everything. You wouldn't, you wouldn't do that. You wouldn't take a sleeping tablet and think, well, I don't like being woken up. I get grumpy if I don't get a full night's sleep. Um, uh, so I'll just, you know, I'll let them take... You wouldn't do that. You'd be ready. You'd, you'd, you'd defend yourself. You'd be ready for them. That's Jesus' point. Simple one. Let me put it in a daft way. What would you practically do differently if you knew that Jesus was going to come back on Christmas Day this year? He's not, I have no knowledge, that would be running against him, don't denounce me for heresy, but just run with it. He's coming back on, he's not, but he's coming back on the, uh, the 25th of December this year. You knew, that would change things, wouldn't it? Are there things that you and I are stressed about, fussed about? You think, oh, he's, oh who cares? Who cares about that then? There are things which have just drifted to the periphery of life. You think, well, hold on a minute, just three months. Well, that matters. I, I've got to bring that front and center. Those are conv- there are conversations I need to have with that person before Jesus comes back. And I'm going to do everything I can. How we use our time, how we use our conversation, how we use our money. If you knew, that would make a difference. Jesus says, no one knows when I'm coming back. Laugh at them if they tell you a date. But that I am coming back that's got to change how you live. Be ready, he says. Okay, Jesus, be ready. Well, super, what do we do? Keep watch. What does that mean? Do I buy a dog and wait for you? What, what, practically, what does that mean? Four parables you then get from now until the end of chapter 25. Uh, unpacking a little more detail what it means to practically keep watch. We look at two of them tonight and then two in the uh, uh, subsequent weeks. So be ready, verses 42 to 44. Be faithful, verses 45 to 51. Keeping watch is not a passive activity, it's active. So verse 45. Who is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his households to give them their food at the proper time? It'll be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. I tell you the truth, he'll put him in charge of all his possessions, but suppose that servant is wicked. Come back to that. Two characters in this story, master, servant. But the servant initially does the right thing and then subsequently does the wrong thing. It's not that there are two different servants. So verse uh, 48, suppose that servant, the one who had done good, is now wicked. Jesus is telling these parables 
to his disciples and says, he is saying, don't start well and then conk out. It's kind of the warning that's taking place here. But anyway, the faithful servant, he does well. And um, you don't want to push too many details of parables, but broadly, I guess, what does it mean to be faithful here relationally to, to treat people as you should do? Uh, something to that. But uh, anyway, the master comes back, verse 47, and puts the servant in charge of all his possessions. Great. Jesus, what does that mean? You, you, uh, if we faithfully serve you, when you come back, you'll put me in charge of all possessions. What, what does that mean? Well, again, don't push details too much. And yet, there are four times in Matthew's Gospel when Jesus talks about he'll return and he'll reward his disciples with responsibility. It's just a recurrent theme. That's interesting. What does that mean we'll get more responsibility? Now? I don't know. But that is one of the things that Jesus, uh, chapter 19 and then twice in the parable next week, says he focuses upon. Responsibility is a reward. Now some of you might think, well, I don't want responsibility. I don't like responsibility. You be in charge. Um, and some of us, but, but actually, when you step up and take on new things and do them, it's satisfying. There's a pleasure to that. You know, you do a job that you couldn't have done five years ago. You think, oh, great, I couldn't have done that five years ago. You study some, I don't know, bizarre, esoteric quantum maths formulas, or you paint something wonderful and marvellous. There's no way I could have done that five years ago. There's no way. You study real weird thing. I've, yeah, I've, I've, grown, I've stepped up. It's good. There's pleasure in that. And I guess there's something of that. In what Jesus is saying, uh, rewarded, he be faithful and you'll be rewarded, he says. But, verse 48, but suppose that servant is the same one, that servant is wicked and says to himself, my master's staying away a long time and he begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with, junk, eat and drink with drunkards. What's his mistake, verse 48? My master is staying away a long time. You see, he doesn't deny the master's coming back. He doesn't say, well, he's never coming back, so I can do what I want. He just, oh, it's just so far in the future. Who cares? His hope becomes so distant, it has absolutely no bearing on how he lives his life here and now. And so Jesus says to his followers, don't be like that. Don't sort of have a consciousness, I'm coming back at some point in the future. But it makes no difference to today. Don't do that. Because certainly for the, the servant here, when he has a distant hope, it leads to delinquent faith. He doesn't relate to others properly. He doesn't obey the Lord as he should do. Whereas if you have a, a, a near hope, if I can put it in those terms... Uh, a conscious awareness that the Lord will return, that'll affect your relationships here and now. That'll mean you're faithful in them. Verse 50, the master of that servant will come on a day when he doesn't expect him, at an hour he's not aware of. Golly, what do we do with verse 51? He'll cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. 
Oh. Oh, and Jesus, you use that expression six times in Matthew's gospel. Golly. It's the sort of most common description Jesus gives of hell. Why does he keep on saying it? Why is he saying it to his disciples? Why does he say it to the crowds? Particularly in chapter 13, the parable's there. Because he doesn't want people to go there. He doesn't want people to be shut out, cut off, placed with the hypocrites. So he warns out of kindness. A little while ago, I was cycling home from church one night, 10-ish, 10.30 or something like that. There wasn't a lot of traffic around. And uh, so I came up to uh, cycling uh, south, just over the river, um, cycling up to Parliament Square and uh, uh, approached a set of lights. And there was a hint of amber in them. And so uh, I kept on going and there was very little traffic around. It was fine. It was no problem at all. I don't condone that. Don't do that at home. Um, but I came along and uh, then uh, out of nowhere, uh, drawing up alongside me, woo. And uh, a policeman sort of pushed me over. No, didn't push me over. So it, so it, that'd be very slightly mean, wouldn't it? You know, encouraged me to uh, pull over and uh, helmet off uh, and said, you clearly went through a red light. I said, well, it was a hint of that. Don't, don't muck about it. It was red. It was red. Okay. Um, it was red. He said, last week I had to knock on the door of a woman. She was 40 years old. She had two children. I knocked on her door and said, tonight your husband's been killed. He was on his bicycle and he went through a red light. I'm terribly sorry, but he's dead. I hate doing that. That is the worst part of my job. Don't make me do that for you. Put on his helmet and drove off. And I felt about four years old. And you think, well, thank you. Didn't enjoy that one little bit. No one enjoys being dressed down. No one enjoys hearing that sort of stark news. And you think, golly, that poor family. But I am a lot more cautious on my bike. And I think that was the point of him telling me. And that's what Jesus is doing here. He's being kind in his warning. Of course, if you're a Christian, if you're a Christian, read that. It does also help. It helps you sort of gain just that, you know, that, that fills out, I guess, a little hint of what Jesus has done for you. When upon the cross, Jesus Christ dies in the place of sinners like you and me, So he takes punishment for us so that we receive his righteousness, his blessing. I mean, of course, there's a physical pain, but that's in one sense is minor relative to the emotional or perhaps better spiritual pain when he is cut off from his father, when he is assigned a place with the hypocrites, when he experiences weeping and gnashing of teeth. He's done that for you, if you're a Christian who trusts in him. So when you read things like verse 51, be warned. It's a very kind warning. Give thanks. He's done that for you, if you trust him. Be ready. Be faithful. Uh, And then uh, a bit more, filling out a bit more, be patient in uh, chapter 25, uh, this uh, parable of the virgins, 1 to 13. This is interesting. The parable of the servant, we just looked at, Jesus has warned against too distant an expectation of his return. Here in the ten bridesmaids, he's warning against too near an expectation of his return. Someone who starts well but can't go the distance. 
You can do both. You can get it wrong in both ways. Anyway, chapter 25, verse 1. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. What's all that about? Look, let's just call them bridesmaids so we don't get hung up on that word and we use it differently today. Culturally, these are bridesmaids helping out the bridegroom and the, and the groom. By culture, they would have been single. Therefore, by culture, they would have been virgins. This is the same word. You can use it. Young maidens, virgins. Let's just call them bridesmaids. Okay? What are they doing? They're going to wait for the bridegroom. Have they got the wrong sex? Are they a bit confused? Isn't the bride they're looking after? Well, yes, kind of. But uh, again, by the culture of the day, you'd have the, the wedding service, as it were, the legal bit, in the bride's house. The reception in the groom's house. Just a bit different, you know. So the groom's family gets to pay the cash for the uh, reception, and uh, you know, oh, interesting, you know, you know, maybe I'll grow up and say to my daughters, "We're having a first-century wedding," and uh, you know that sort of way. But anyway, that's how it worked. So the bridesmaids—they do as you would normally expect. They titivate the bride and sort of put all her hair in ringlets and la 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 la, um, and do her henna and makeup and what have you. Uh, but then they stand outside with their torches. Uh, you know, um, sticks with flames, that sort of torches. Um, I've explained that really badly, haven't I? Anyway, right, you, you know what I mean. That sort of thing. Or lamps. And then when the couple come out, the legal bit's done, they process them at night. So it's, it's very nice, a torch-lit parade through the village from one house to another. It's just a tradition as it worked. Okay, that's what's going on. Two groups, verse 2. Five of them were foolish And five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but didn't take any oil with them. The wise, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. Two groups. Both are bridesmaids. All of them have been involved in helping the bride. All of them known to the groom, you would have thought. They're bridesmaids. Five think... We don't know how long this is going to take. Five make no planning for it to take anything other than, I don't know, a few minutes. Their mistake, they don't plan on a delay. So we're told, verse 5, the bridegroom was a long time in coming. They all became drowsy and fell asleep. Why is the bridegroom delayed? I don't know. Incompetent vicar, Rome Williams, is trying to marry them. Is this a four weddings thing? Or, you know, they've got a, you know, a celebrity photographer who seems to take forever. You know, we need another photo, another photo. It's those sort of things uh, that happen sometimes. Anyway, we're not told why the bridegroom is delayed. I don't know why I bother telling you those things. But eventually he comes. Verse 6. Uh, as uh, Angus, oh, you'd have Angus. Who, who, who read Angus? You'd have him announcing the bride, wouldn't you? Magnificent. Here he comes. At midnight, the cry rang out, here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. But the foolish are in trouble. Verse 7, then all the bridesmaids woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. Verse 9, no. It's a bit mean, isn't it? No, I think it's fair enough. You know, Common, if we share our oil, we're never going to get from this house to that house. Some of us have got to, look, our job is to escort the groom. That's what we're here to do. It's, okay, half of us have bogged it, but you go to Sainsbury's and go and buy some more oil, uh, and hopefully it'll work out in time. But we've got to, you know, we've got to make sure that we're here to do the business, to, uh, to escort them along. Fair enough. And so verse 10, while they're on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet. 
and the door was shut. 11. Later the others came along. Sir, sir, they said, open the door for us. Verse 12, I tell you the truth, I don't know you. With the bridesmaids. It's us, it's Molly and Dottie and Susie and Jackie and whatever he, um, Emily, you know, it's us, it's the bridesmaids. You know, we were there this morning at the house, you know, we did the henna, you know, woo, we did the hair, you know, we offered you some makeup, you said, oh, my man, you know, it's us, it's the bridesmaids. I don't know you. I don't know you. Oh. The question what they, why they got it so wrong? Jesus is needing you out. What have they got so wrong? The, the mistake the virgin... The, oh, it's amazing. Well, you can read all sorts of drivel on that. Uh, so I've read things this week. Um, oil. The, the mistake the virgin, the, the bridesmaids, was they didn't have enough oil. The oil represents alms giving to the church. Seriously? No, the oil represents the Holy Spirit, and they hadn't had a topping up, really, so they went to buy more. Interesting. Uh, the oil represents um, uh, the Lord's Supper, and they hadn't had it regularly enough. What? what? I mean, keep going. What do you think? What do you want the oil to be? Um, you can make up anything, can't you, if you go down that route? All we're told is they're not prepared for a delay. That's it. Now, I don't know about you. I, I find it really encouraging Jesus has told this parable. 2,000 years on from uh, his resurrection ascension. It's been quite a delay. But he said, expect a delay. I find that encouraging. He told us that. But what is it they've done wrong? Practically, how do Christians keep watch patiently, prepared for a delay? Oh, we're not giving details in this parable. I think it helps. Two things. The parable beforehand, faithfully serve. The parable afterwards, we'll look at next week, faithfully use your gifts to serve. So certainly part of patiently waiting must be we get on and serve the Lord with the gifts he's given us. There's another hint. When uh, in verse 11 they say, Sir, sir, open the door for us. He replied, I, never, I don't know you. One other time in Matthew's gospel you get sir, sir, or Lord, Lord. Kyrios, kyrios, it's the same word. But Matthew chapter 7 in the Sermon on the Mount, 7 verse 22. Lord, Lord, we... We walk with you in the streets. We did miracles in your name. We drove out demons. I don't know you. Precisely the same formulation, expressions. I don't know you. But we did all these things. You didn't obey the will of my father. So even though the parable isn't explicit, what does it mean to patiently wait I'd imagine, given that Matthew is writing about the same Jesus, it must have that sense of, you faithfully do the will of God, the Father. Hey, while you wait for him to come back, you do the will of God, the Father. The Christian life is not simply about, ah, become a Christian, brilliant, the thrill of conversion, or uh, the, the magnificent moment of excitement, and you're fully awake, and ah, oh, you know, I'm at this conference, it's the most amazing thing. 
much of the Christian life is patiently getting on with serving him. Day by day. Jesus is coming back. I know that. I want to honour him. I want to live for him. Has it been exciting doing that this week? No. Oh well. He said there'd be a delay. These people fell asleep. Didn't fall asleep all week long? No, you've done better than them. Good for you. It's no good being a zealous Christian in your 20s, getting slightly tepid in your 30s, and going off the boil in your 40s. Don't keep going. Keep serving. All the way through. You put these parables together, well, the wise have... Well, there's a present hope of Jesus' return. Uh, And yet, a realistic expectation, it could be a long time. And in the meantime, I'm going to get on and serve him. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to serve him here and now. Jesus says, look forward. Look forward to the banquet. Keep watch. It's interesting, it's the most common, I think, metaphor that Jesus probably uses in his teaching in the New Testament, that the kingdom of heaven is a bit like a banquet or a wedding banquet or a feast. It's useful, isn't it? Because it crosses all cultures. Uh, and uh, I take it, most here would have been to a, a number of weddings. And you think, great, you know, a wedding banquet, a, a reception, they're fun. And you get food and drink. And for myself, canapes, it's the best thing of a wedding after the ceremony itself and the speeches. Uh, canapes, I'm a sucker for a canapé. You know, I'm all, I'm all over them. You know, Chinese banquets, also very good. You know, you know, 14 courses, you can't knock that. But anyway, but no one actually goes to a wedding for the food and the drink, do they? That would be, be a bit sad. Be a bit sad. <laughs> you go for the people. You go for the people. You go to cheer on the bride and the groom. Great. And actually some of the, yeah, every wedding is wonderful, but some of the most poignant ones is when the couple have married after a long delay. You know, she's been really sick for several years and they just decided to wait until she was well, out of hospital and you know, that's taken a year, and finally they're able to marry, and, you know, it's quite emotional. Or there's been parental opposition, and finally after years they've agreed to come. It's all very emotional. Actually, the delay adds to the poignancy, the, the delight in the event. Very special uh, in that particular setting. Jesus says, I'm coming back. It'll be unexpected, it'll be divisive. Keep watch. Don't go off the ball. Keep watch. Know that when I come back, it'll be very wonderful. Very wonderful indeed. And in the meantime, the knowledge that I'm coming back, that's really got to affect how you live here and now. Are you ready for his return? Oh, become a Christian if you've never done that. Then serve him faithfully in the areas he's given you to do. Keep going as you watch for his return. Let's pray together. Our Father, these are sobering words for us. Thank you for the realism that the Lord Jesus gives us, that we're to wait and uh, his return hasn't come quickly, we're still waiting, and who knows how long we're going to wait. But will we be those who keep watching? Not passively, but actively seeking to 
serve him wholeheartedly, to obey the the will of uh, God the Father. Would the knowledge of Jesus' return affect practically how we live this day, this year, we ask? So we live useful lives forward, we pray, to that day, serving him while we wait. Keep us looking forward, we pray, to that day. In Jesus' name, amen.